Welcome back to the Fellowship Hall, a podcast about uh, racial justice, radical friendship, and the church. Today we have a friend and former professor of mine, Ryan Andrew Newson, who is um, also an author of now two books, and he's edited a few as well, three books. I've read two of them. He's edited a few as well, and um, today we're talking about his first book, Radical Friendship, The Politics of Communal Discernment. Um, Ryan, thanks for being on with us. Tell us about your book and why you decided to write this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it's good to see you again uh, as, you know, all grown, you know, all grown up, quote unquote. Um, I, uh, you know, I, this started out as my doctoral work. So I was interested in the question of both how to foster uh, what I talk about in the book, drawing on other people, um, competence, Christian uh, competence to deal with and to live faithfully and address faithfully uh, questions, but particularly moral questions and political questions, broadly speaking, that seem to outstrip uh, people's, uh, in general, people's ability to sort of think about them or even see them in some cases, let alone uh, like address them. So you know, I talk about like neoliberalism in the book, but this could apply as easily to something like, I don't know, a global pandemic or climate change, or there's a lot of things that fall under that category. And my, in, my kind of inkling was there's this practice of uh, at least certain strands of the church, uh, variously called various things, but I call it, uh, or I track with the groups that call it communal discernment which means when churches, communities of Christians get together and try to discern together uh, what God wants for us to do or be or say or whatever in a particular situation. And I thought that that practice carries a lot of promise uh, for Christians um, of all times to, to, to go on and find some kind of limited competence uh, in our moment. So that was kind of the, the idea. And I just sort of traced that out uh, best as I can uh, in the book. So yeah, that was the idea is, is the fruit of um, a lot of, a little bit of practice and a lot of uh, work, uh, study and reading and stuff as well. Yeah. <laughs> so one, you know, one big thing you talk about in the book is, is disrupting the patterns of injustice um, and standing up for and recognizing these, these issues of injustice that, that show up in the patterns or systems and how how does one let's say you're at a church and you're sort of interested in the work of racial justice and equity how does one get to a place of recognizing these issues and um then you know entering into a process of communal discernment with their community or communities around them uh, um well part of what needs to happen is uh um, churches, people, community, it, it, it depends. It depends on the community and it depends on who we're talking about. But um, congregations, churches in general, um, they need to be in conversation with people outside of their walls. So um, I always think about something um, Willie Jennings always talks about, which is doing kind of like a walkabout in the neighborhood that you are in as a church or community. Um, I believe uh, Luke Brotherton talks in similar terms uh, where you are at Duke uh, about, you know, the, the power of walking around, like doing a mile radius around your church and noticing what's there, who lives there, who doesn't live there. Um, and then talking there about figuring out, listening rather, I guess, 
of what are the concerns, material concerns that are arising in that, that place. So one place to figure out um, what needs addressing or whatever is to, to really be uh, attuned to and situated in a place um, and not sort of not aware of your place in the world and creation. That's straight up Dr. Jennings. And so um, that's part of it, right? Is, is getting a sense of who and where you are and along with that, the histories that are present there. And obviously in places in the South, places in the United States, places in uh, white congregations, which is um, my uh, uh, primary uh, sense of congregations that I'm familiar with, uh, you know, there's the history and legacies of white supremacy are, are wrapped up in that. Um, but getting a sense of that not being some sort of abstract um, kind of question or ism or something, but rather a, a kind of set of structures and imaginative um, principles that really touch ground in and around where churches gather. I mean, that's the way, way you can kind of disrupt, not just disrupt things around you, but also find out what needs disrupting yourself within yourself and within your congregation too. Um, so that would be kind of my first kind of inclination. And then my hope is that Christians have um, um, resources in the tradition. Maybe they've been practiced or maybe they've like been allowed to atrophy, uh, but you know, old traditions um, where you come together and you listen to each other and you sort of try to discern the spirit's movement as you read the scripture in a way that's much more robust than just, you know, a set of, you know, a manual that has just a bunch of didactic truths contained within it, um, which is not how scripture works, in my opinion. So that, that's, um, that's, that's kind of, that's what I think. I think that's the promise of the practice is its suppleness and its willingness to continually disrupt our own sense of perception about what's going on in our own, in our worlds. That, that really won me over to this book was you know not just this like broad history that you provide that gives a context to this way of thinking that traces it through the Anabaptists and through you know later traditions but um the way that you give the goal the telos of this work is really friendship it seems like and that's hence the name of the book radical friendship could you speak a little bit about how our inability to hear each other causes a disruption in our ability to be friends? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, I, you know, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing, probably, is our, is our ability to hear each other, you know, hampered by our fact that we don't have true robust friendships or by the other way around. Um, uh, you know, I think part of what what the kind of challenge is, is that, as I, you know, this is quite well known, but like Aristotle, for instance, the, the kind of concept of this comes from uh, Aristotle, who talked about friendship as an important uh, kind of uh, <laughs> practice uh, through which and by which you are reinforced in certain virtues uh, in the world, or at least can be. Um, birds of a feather flock together and all that but he also was quite good at differentiating types of friendship in a way that we're not so good at in our culture um so you know he talked about there's he all he used the same word but he really thinks you know there's friendship proper friendship proper is two people uh, and he has lots of sort of uh, bigoted and um, problematic associations with who could prop 
properly actually be friends with one another. I mean, he was a misogynist, misogynist in a lot of ways. Uh, but there is, he had a sense that there was like true friendship, which meant two people um, kind of could work together on a sort of set of uh, issues, could, could form each other in virtue. But then there's also quote, quote unquote friendship, uh, friendships of utility, which you're just sort of using each other for, for some, you know, for usefulness or friendships of pleasure, which is like your drinking buddy or something or your bowling buddy or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> um, and uh, certainly like Facebook friends wouldn't count any, any which way. Um, so um, I think when I think about friendship as the goal, it's almost like the, the, it kind of goes one, both ways for me. Um, there are friendships or there's a type of relationship that can get fostered in Christian communities that should form us to uh, form us and sort of reinforce us to be certain kinds of people in the world. Um, that is, so it goes kind of that direction from the Christian community um, to the world. But then as well, there's sort of friendships that I have at least that are outside of the Christian community that similarly kind of form me in ways that bring that that speak back into my relationships where I am in church and so I think in both cases what unites them is this sense of uh, a robust kind of uh, relationship that is tied to both my own flourishing and ultimately the flourishing of uh, the world um, and that that's I, I agree that I mean you're that's well said how you put that that's kind of tell us of of the practice or it's kind of tied up with what I mean by friendship in the context of communal discernment is this the kind of relationship where that kind of practice can go on rather than friendship is you know whatever else just mutual um convenience or whatever else so he means the word and i want the word to mean mean in a very more kind of particular way than it often is used and, um, you know, you were a student of McClendon's at Fuller, and um, you quote McClendon in one part of the book around page 138, where you say, um, you point out, you know, he, he's talking to a law student, right? And he says, you know, he points out these particular practices like friendship or marriage that draw him outside of the sort of rhythm of what law school seeks to form him into as a, as a sort of Christian alternative. You know, I, I think one of the hard parts in this work is that we're not asking everybody to quit their job and become a community organizer or to, you know, quit their, quit what they're doing and go, go be this different thing, go be a missionary or go be a, whatever it is that your tradition calls it. Right. Like your CBF field personnel. Right. So how, how can communal discernment and existing as a community and forming these friendships create alternative pathways that form us in different ways um, that are not, they're not that of, of law school or the world or, or, you know, however you might say that. Could you, could you say some words about that and give us some, some wisdom on like how we can form in different ways that are creating alternative patterns? Yeah, I can't give any wisdom. I, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I am a, uh, I, I read McClendon and I am, uh, you know, I know him very well. I did, I edited his collected works but I you know he was he's been long gone since before I could have been his direct student I do consider myself a student of him but just to clarify that um <laughs> uh, certain folks would be like what yeah um, <laughs> um yeah absolutely so the idea is not certainly there's nowhere to go I mean that's Stanley Howard's I was talking about it's not like there's anywhere to go uh to escape the sort of various sorts of practices or um um 
systems that make up our world that are are unjust in various ways. Um, there's nowhere to escape to. There's no place of purity to go. So the the question is very rightly put. You know how to exist well within uh, that sort of world. And I think um, communal discernment is one practice of a lot of practices that can form uh, Christian faithful witness and participation within um, the world. So I, I mean, I do think there are some things that Christians shouldn't do, and there are some jobs that people probably should quit. Um, but in general, you know, I don't want to take that off the table. Um, but uh, yeah, like I think his example, McClendon's example of law, the idea is like, okay, is practicing law inherently like it, does it to be a Christian who is interested in communal discernment is is the communal discernment meant to say okay you have to either participate in law and participate in communal and in, in, or or participate in communal discernment it's like well no one thing communal discernment can do again along with like if I'm naming Christian practices like Eucharist uh, prophetic preaching uh, Bible study you know it's, it's not alone um, but it can help form folks to see. Um, what are ways of inhabiting this practice that are dangerous? Let's take laws since that's the example on the table. My dad's a lawyer, so I can say whatever I want about law. Um, or he was a lawyer, he's retired. Um, what are ways in which that- pra- flex, Ryan. My dad's a lawyer, so just watch out. Right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's a lawyer off. Like, what are ways in which that practice um, can can uh, be bent towards certain goods or ends that I don't, that that are not Christian, that are not robustly connected to uh, the gospel of Jesus, uh, are there, what are ways in which that practice inherently is not connected to that, but like some people find themselves in certain sorts of like jobs after that. Um, so does that make it's like, so communal discernment would not be like, do you, or do you not participate as a lawyer, but like what kind of lawyer are you going to be? What kind of law are you going to practice? Uh, what are, um, how do we structure going to law school such that certain sorts of options are less and less likely or more and more likely because you accrue so much debt when you go to law school that you have, in, or you can, that you have, you might want to do, you know, uh, immigration law, but that doesn't pay as well to pay off your student debts as other sorts of law, right? So like it, it opens those sorts of questions up that are less the sort of simplistic an easy kind of a ultimately kind of a fan fantasy of like, I'm going to withdraw and do this, or I'm going to withdraw and do some sort of heroic kind of yeah, activist work or whatever, rather than what does it look like to stay where you are and try to um, act justly within, if that's possible, within the systems where you are present as a teacher, um, as a, a member of a local, uh, uh, you know, city council or whatever, uh, whatever, whatever, you know, that, that's kind of what the practice, that's the sort of hope of it, I think. And the reason I think it's especially helpful for those sorts of questions um, is because it, it is seeking, it's used at its best. I mean, it's got its downsides or its ways it can go wrong, but at its best, it's useful for folks who are trying to answer or think through questions that don't have an obvious and immediate, I don't know if there is, are such questions, but questions they're not some obvious intermediate answer uh present to you you're genuinely in a situation where it's like i'm not quite sure what to do and we're going to need to rely on um each other um scripture in a much more robust sense than just you know it says that i believe that that settles it um and the spirit's movement within that sort of practice in that sort of work so that's why i think it holds such potential that's also why i think it doesn't get practiced as much in our our context i think it's 
Um, there's dangers associated with that. There's obvious evident immediate risks associated with that or questions that arise from that. And we just live in a very individualistic society um, where I don't want to necessarily hear what anybody else tells me about anything, frankly, unless they already agree with me. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the, you know, this is the one thing that was really challenging to me about this book is that it does call you outside of your echo chamber, right? Like, but it calls you into a sort of makeshift unity with people that don't think the same thing you think or look the same as you act the same way you do. So the, the process of communal discernment that you outline in the book, you talk about the disagreements, especially with violence amongst Anabaptists, but the way in which there was some semblance of unity even amidst those disagreements. Like, why why doesn't more of the church look like that today right like why or why is the methodist church splitting over a single issue or why does you know same thing with baptist the cooperative baptist left largely over women in ministry and the way we do missions like why why do we have these this need to divide in this way and are we missing the the call of the unity in the gospel um yeah as a theologian what do you think i don't don't well i i i'm not so i mean this might sound weird. I don't know, but I'm not so worried about that. I, I, I think again, I mean, for me, the, the practice is not, and certainly the goal of the Christian life is not to provisionally and try to find unity, like that kind of a unity all the time. There are times in which um, we need to name the divisions that are present. I mean, that's part of what could be part of what the communal sermon is about. It's like, we have discerned that, yeah, we're doing different things. And there, I think certainly there's issues like the women in ministry for what would be one for me. I mean, that's just, I'm married to a minister, you know, a woman uh, who is a woman as well. So like, that's kind of one of those for me. White supremacy would be another, I, you know, et cetera. You can go down the list. So uh, there are times in which that that is the discernment that needs to be made. Um, and uh, so I wouldn't want us conflate communal discernment with you know unity i know you're not but i'm just sort of thinking out loud um i think what if anything what communal discernment can do and I, maybe this is why it's avoided oftentimes especially in places like i've been involved with um cooperative baptist churches for a while since my youth when i started going to the youth group is a lot of people don't want to uncover disagreements that might be under the surface that we have with each other i mean that can get messy and people might get upset and it might be you know you people not, might, might be into that, might be conflict avoidant. <laughs> and so, um, which there's a place for that. I mean, it's not a conflict for conflict's sake is good, but uh, on matters that matter, um, conflict should not be avoided, particularly if it's coming at the expense of, if the avoidance of conflict or discussion or discernment is coming at the expense of uh, the safety and well-being and um, flourishing of people in our world and in the congregation, particularly in that sense, the most vulnerable among us. So for me, communal discernment, I have less often seen communal discernment. It, it happens. I mean, trust me, I know it happens. I have friends in the Mennonite community and it happens, but I've less often in my context seen communal discernment misused in that way and more often seen it just completely um, avoided altogether um, for the sake of preserving a kind of false unity that ultimately is no unity at all. I mean, the ultimate unity in the Ephesians sense is going to be eschatological anyway. So we're all on the way until you know, the end of all things. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. So that's, um, that's kind of what I think about it. That's, you know, that's a great point that goes back to the conversation I had with Melissa Floral Bixler um, a few weeks ago, 
you know, it's important to know what your church stands for. And that's part of the role of communal discernment is to establishing friendships and radical friendship, but, you know, also establishing a clear sense of vision and unity around the message of the gospel. And, you know, yep. like you have one for you, some issues that are like indivisible, like you can't get past the, this is, you know, this is putting somebody else to harm. This is, this is harming somebody else. This is doing injustice to somebody else. Yeah. What? And so, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. I was gonna say, in, 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 insofar as I identify, I often, some, sometimes anyway, often really find um, there are things that I'm committed to that folks actually outside the church, outside of Christianity are, we're kind of yoked together in that. And that's another, I talk about that's another expression of the kind of friendship I'm interested in. Um, uh, yeah, so we find ourselves sort of together and they're sort of like surprising or can be surprising friendships but they end up being deep and changing both of us in that process so yeah and so um and that, and that brings me right into the last question i have for you today is that like what what can we use an example of let's say we're a, let's say we're a small baptist church in, in raleigh north carolina or, or in charlotte or something and we're looking to engage in this process of communal discernment to talk about issues of race and white supremacy and racial injustice. What, what can churches use as a framework? What should churches be reading or listening to or doing better? I mean, you mentioned a mile walk around and, and Willie Jennings and Luke Bretherton and, um, you know, all the, all the Duke or formerly Duke folks, just anybody that goes to Duke, you know, just listen to them. But, but who else is, you know, what, what, what would you recommend as like a resource or a next step for folks? Oof. Um, you know, there's a few, I, I think, um, I, I mean, I, this sounds simplistic. I don't mean it to, um, but I think, <laughs> I, I think, mm, I'll just say it. Reading the Bible. I mean, I think that like getting together in groups, people actually like reading and discerning around the Bible, around like issues or topics uh, that are uh, pressing for congregation, I think is actually, I think that happens less than people might think it does. I mean, I certainly Baptists value individual Bible study, um, or at least traditionally we do. I have a lot of students that don't seem that, I, I don't know how actually that practice is. We talk about it a lot. I don't know if it happens as much, but um, so I think that's one. I, I would say getting with your congregation or your, your fellow folks together in the church and discerning together. I also think this is the kind of work or, or value that um, you ha it has to be done at the same time. It's not just purely theoretical, uh, nor is it purely pragmatic, but it's like somewhere in the middle, right? It's like this sort of uh, pragmatist kind of knowledge. And so I think it's the kind of thing, like, let's say you're in, you know, Raleigh. Well, you're not going to know the kind of um, issues that are going to be facing you and your congregation and in the context of Raleigh without being in conversation with other folks in Raleigh, hopefully and definitely, I should say, outside of as well your own kind of neighborhood or sort of uh, demographic as the case may be. Um, so like if you go to, I know um, the pastor at St. John's in Raleigh is involved with like uh, Wake Community Organizing. And it's like being involved in that kind of community organizing or a Greenwood Forest and Cary, um, at the same time as you're doing communal discernment together um, uh, of the Bible, like also being discerning with other people who are saying with you that they are also committed to seeking the peace of the city or with whatever language they use for that, 
will pair together and will help prevent uh, the communal discernment from just becoming not solipsism, but like kind of a communal solipsism. Like that's no better either. Just have a small Baptist community who all agree and see everything's the exact same way. So to be an actual conversation and actually listening to people, particularly people and communities of people uh, who are often left out of uh, conversations of, of, of um, import in the life of the city because they're not considered shareholders or stakeholders, they're renters instead of buyers, or they're not business owners, or they're um, historically disenfranchised, you know, that will change the kinds of questions that arise that then are brought back to the study of the scriptures themselves. And in some cases, I think, I do believe deeply that the scriptures will begin to sing uh, again in a way that they, they, you're not accessing, you're not able to see what's present there, uh, because you're not bringing the right questions, you're not to live, so you're situated in the world in a particular way that certain strands that are present in scripture are just not seeable um, for you. So that's what, I mean, those are very, maybe too simple, but simply said anyway. <laughs> no, I think you're, I think you're tapping into something exactly like, you know, that, you know, we talk a lot about Bible study, but do we do Bible study, right? Like, like it's, do we do communal discernment around the Bible? Like, I, I don't know that we do. I think that's a big, that's a big topic that needs to be discussed further and more often. And, and what is that, what does good Bible study actually look like, right? I mean, and even in divinity schools, like we could talk about what does good Bible study actually look like, right? And um, the pastor you mentioned at St. John's Baptist is Scott Hovey. We actually had him on the first episode of the podcast. So all right small world man uh, getting smaller but um you know i always ask the guests as we're leaving the episode like what's um what's the covered dish you can bring to us this week? Like, what's the thing the piece of wisdom or advice or or insight or just something you've been thinking about that folks can snack on through the week just and in general yeah just in general about this work about stuff we've talked to any i mean really anything like what's what's something um you- i'm right now working on i've been working on for a while um a project on a theological critique of civility, the concept. Um, and so what I would want to say is that just happens to be on my mind, but it also relates to this. Um, this one, this guy, David Graeber, talks about how um, in certain circles, people who got involved in any kind of communal work, community organizing, community activism, communal discernment, tended to sometimes think that had to go along with thinking that those meetings that you would have were gonna be extremely nice. And if they weren't extremely nice, then something was going wrong. And what I wanna say is that's not true. Um, if and when someone is really engaging in these sorts of questions uh, with any kind of depth and seriousness and is touching on issues that need touching on, um, it will probably be, and it should be kind of emotive and that's good. And the sort of canard of well, someone starts to quote, unquote, break civility norms is a real quick way that those sorts of conversations can get shut down or certain voices can get not listened to. Uh, does that make sense? So like, I guess by a piece of advice or whatever is table off the certain sorts of, it has to be said this way or this or that language has to be used and if it's not, or with this or that set of manners or else that um, those persons have put themselves outside the realm of um being listened to or something like that um 
I think those mostly get in the way of actual, like if I think about authentic friendships, I mean, I don't observe, we have our, our certain norms, but they're not this, you know, it's not as rigid norms of civility I observe with like my actual friends. We have other things that are going on. Uh, respect is important, of course. Listening is important, of course, but I don't think that's the exact same as always trying to hit this moving target of politeness or civility or decorum or whatever else. Um, so that would be one. That's a teaser, I guess, but <laughs> I'm less and less and less um, interested in that as a, um, I don't know. It's, it's very contingent. Huh? That fourth book, right? <laughs> well, yeah. um, so you're telling me you and your friends don't have like pizza and beer a night with Robert's Rules of Order in place. <laughs> no, we don't sit around and like meditate on George Washington's 112, you know, whatever rules for civility. No, typically not, you know. Um, and, you know, that's not to say there, there's certain like things that we that are practiced or whatever. You know, you have to be respectful, et cetera. You, you know, there's things you could do that would be put you like put you out of bounds or whatever but we, if we were talking about something that was serious or mattered uh it would be weird if i started coming in and going well no but you didn't your voice is getting loud now you know it would be kind of bizarre to do that in fact if it was somebody who was talking about something that was deeply affecting them and making them upset and i was like well, you're getting upset you shouldn't be upset um i think that's got a long inheritance of i mean frankly just racism and sexism associated with that kind of a move that people like us have, it's like a card we could play because we learned the right ways of um, practiced, practiced appearance of, dis, of distance, like theoretical distance. Um, but I'm yeah. not so, yeah, I'm not it's so interested. to talk about things in the theoretical, right? I mean, like when you're talking about something theoretically, it's no longer, it's easy to, it's easy to have a discussion about something with no passion in your voice if it doesn't actually affect you, right? That's right. Your family is, it's about your family eating and health care and, and. Yeah. And yeah. That's well said. Yeah. It, it shows that you might not have a lot of skin in the game. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on today. And um, I'll also offer a uh, benediction as we close out this episode. And engaging in the life of community and may the ears that hear your work and the eyes that read it be blessed and moved further into their community and closer to the creator who we know is love amen thank you, thank you.